Well, I've been uh, doing a uh, four-part series on the journey. And uh, the first message I did was the gos gospel awakening, the gospel I landed in town with, that God can declare a man righteous and fit for heaven in a moment who will simply believe. I came with the gospel, you declared righteous in a moment, and God will spend a lifetime changing your character. But the ungodly can know in a moment they're going to heaven. That's the gospel we preach. Amen. And then uh, we went to, what was the second one? Tell me, I forget. I, what was it? Oh, yes, thank you. The second one, see, you already forgot it. Uh, the call of God, Isaiah 6. Who will go for us? And God gave me that in 1959 at a youth camp at Alliance Redwoods. And so I've been preaching for 60 years since then. I said yes that night, and I've been preaching ever since. Um, one time at Dallas, they said, Dallas has really made a preacher out of you. I said, well, I love the school, but they had nothing to do with it. God, God did the making. God did the making. I went there to get an impressive degree that you're not impressed by. <laughs> uh, and then last week, the call of God to this church. I set before you an open door, and all that you've got to make it is the key man. If you've got the key man, you can make it. I hold the key of David. I hold the key to death and the grave. And so I trusted the key man, and that's what's kept our doors open, is the key man, not us. The key man. Okay. And then today, uh, I want to speak on trusting God at the crossroads. Trusting God at the crossroads. Uh, what do you do in the crises? Uh, when you come to a crossroad and the giants are looming, your inferiority is booming, you feel like the grasshopper, your opponents are all giants in your world, uh, you've tasted of the goodness of God, you've tasted the grapes of Eskel and Cadiz Barnea, but... Uh, you are having all kinds of struggles. Will you go forward or not? And uh, let me set this message up. Sometimes people remind me, you've preached that before. Yeah, I have. In 48 years, I've preached some twice. Uh, the first time I preached this message was 1986, October 5th, our 15th anniversary. So, Anybody here doing then? Okay. Pray for a pastor's wife. She's had to hear them all. <laughs> and then I did a message, trust and obey or doubt and pay. 10-1 year 2000, our 29th anniversary. So it's been, uh, what are we talking, 19 years? So I thought you needed another dose. Let me give you the setting for 1986. 
and I'm glad Les is here because he was a part of that. We were, uh, we moved from the hall, we moved to Garrison, and all of a sudden the school that we thought we were going get to get to purchase, we were going to refurbish it, it had room, our school of theology was there, things were booming, we were running maybe about 500 people, and all of a sudden Garrison School decides, uh, we want the school back. And you people had put in all kinds of sweat labor. They gave us seven months free rent because you did so much work. We painted, we carpeted, on and on and on. And all of a sudden, the only thing in town that we could go to was a dirty, dingy theater down in Rodale. Anybody remember the Rio? Yeah. And on the marquee, they carried for a long time white chicks. And... <laughs> I, that was some film or chicken on sale. Uh, and so they had that real invitation, you know, like Holy Ghost Hall, white chicks. Come, maybe some of you guys came just for white chicks. I don't know. Uh, so we move in that theater. It's cold in, in the winter, uh, and, and it is hot in the summer. I don't know how Dave Smith had a youth group. We had glass on the windows. If you hit a volleyball, you could break it. it. It was absurd. And I was half aggravated with God. I said, I don't appreciate your sense of humor. <laughs> I remember Malcolm telling me, that great exhorter of the saints, he uh, said to me one day, he said, you know, Phil, I don't mind working in the ghetto, but I don't want to go to church in the ghetto. Could you get us out of here? And I said, man, it's the best we can do. It's the best. There's no other place we can meet. And so while we were there, we had no property. Uh, it never had come open. Uh, I was working on going to Dallas. We started looking at elder government, which was foreign to our church, foreign to me. Uh, I mean, it. Uh, then we finally get some hope, we get a call from a church that says, would you be interested in some land? We looked at the land across the street. They kept saying no, no, no. David and I went out there and made a bid, and the guy got mad at us. They wanted 60,000 an acre. We offered 55, thought we'd save the church money. He got mad, took the deal off the table. We, we, we were stuck in a theater after 18 years. 18 years. And uh, uh, then when we went to the theater, we lost Grace School of Theology that I'd started. And uh, I made Steve Fernandez a dean. I made Frank Griffith. And we all loved the school. It was our Tuesday night theology classes put in the school. But now we have no place to house it so we lose it. It was the death of a dream for me. I always wanted to be on radio, and uh, we are still there by the grace of God and the great underwriting of a few men in this church. And I wanted a Bible training institute because God gave me a sentence, there will always be sick people, but there will not always be physicians. And in church where you can drown with the latest need, Needy people, needy people. And we spend all of our time on the needy and we never train anybody. It, it takes time and perspiration to train a physician. 
The sick will always be sick. But who's going to take time to train? And most of our churches have no time to train leaders. That's a waste of time. That's why most churches are begging for workers. Nobody's been trained. They don't know how. Well, in the midst of that, I went to Dallas Seminary uh, in Mount Hermon at a conference. I met with Howie Hendricks. I'd had him for several classes. He knew me. And I sat down and I said, you know what, uh, Dr. Hendricks, I've been at Valley for 18 years. I am exhausted. I'm disgusted with the place we're at. Uh, it's dismal. I don't like it. Uh, I don't know why any decent folks would want to go there. It's so uh, bad. And I said, I ran out of all goals. I don't even know why I'm there anymore. I said, I, I'm just depleted. I, I'm done in. I'm finishing up the doctorate, finishing up the 18 years. I've had it. I uh, came home and I started reading Numbers 13 and 14, which is the story that when they had traveled north out of Egypt, they're out there about 13 months, and they're at the southern, southeastern corner of the promised land. All they've got to do is cross Jordan, which they do with Joshua, and they are in the promised land. But they get there, and Deuteronomy gives the briefer account, and listen to what it says. Deuteronomy 1. This is the briefer account of Numbers 13, 14. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites. Your radar ought to go up. Amorites. Why Amorites? Genesis 15, listen to me, Abraham. Your descendants I'm going to take into another land for 400 years. And after 400 years, I'm going to have them run out the Amorites. I'm disgusted with the Amorites. I'm going to let them fill up the cup of their sin. And then I'm going to let you defeat them. And you're coming in the land. So they had an Abrahamic promise in Genesis 15. It's time to take the land. Divine promise. This isn't make-believe. God had made a promise to Abraham. They served the 400 years. The Amorites have to be undone. You're right there in their vicinity. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you, 21. Go up. Take possession. As the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. Now, let me ask you this. Why do they need a fact-finding committee? I call it the paralysis of analysis. Some of you have been studying the facts so long you don't know how to trust God. 
I need more facts. No, I don't. I need the promise of God. And so what did they do? Then Moses said, well, he kind of sounded good. You know, we don't want to be impulsive here. We've only been in slavery 400 years. No need to rush in it. Uh, uh, but they said, the, the thing seemed good to me, and I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country. And they came to the valley of Eskol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. He's not giving us a piece of junk. It, it is a, a great land. We've been down in Egypt eating cucumber, a little bit of garlic. Man, we haven't been in the dairy land like this. This is it. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites. You talk about distorting the promise to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, No, listen, our brothers have made our hearts melt. I'll tell you, you've got a grumbling crowd in every bunch of saints. Those who say you can't do it. You can't do it. You, matter of fact, your, your little fact-finding report is bigger than the promises of God. We don't have the money. We don't have enough people. We don't have this. We don't have that. Do you have God? Yes. Well, this section has it. What about the rest of you? Yes. Maybe you folks are totally outside the camp. <laughs> Who's got God? Anybody know God in this place? Some of you did more yelling at the Warriors game on TV, and they still lost. <laughs> our brothers have made our hearts melt. Are you a heart melter? Are you brother pessimist? You always know why we can't. Always know why we can't. Cost too much. Well, well, we're not able. And that's exactly what they did. Because here they were. There was really four G's in Canaan land, I think. There was grapes. They were so big that the national uh, symbol of Israel is Joshua and Caleb carrying one cluster of grapes. That's pretty heavy. Quite, these are unusually large grapes. So the grapes are there. No question. We've seen the land. The grapes are there. But then they, oh, oh, by the way, especially Numbers says, we saw guys that are giants. A matter of fact, they're the Anakim. And Anakim literally means long-necked people. They, they were tall and bigger than these Jewish men. And they said, they seemed like giants to us. And matter of fact, when we looked in the mirror, uh, we looked like grasshoppers. 
And, and this is all they told the people. The grapes are terrific. The giants are big. And we are grasshoppers. And they reported that to the people. We can't do it. Now, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb, especially Caleb spoke up. He said, this is a joke. We can take the land right now. Let's do it. And when you read the book of Joshua, at 85 years of age, Caleb's eyesight is still good, and he can still kill a giant. At 85, some of you can't kill one at 40 because your God's a pygmy. You've made him the size of your faith. Did you know you don't even need to pray if you don't have faith? You can't get anything from God without faith. You can't. Without faith, it is impossible. You guys aren't getting it. I won't look at you. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Faith will make you hungry enough to knock. Believe. I believe you're a promise-keeping God. So, what? Hey, that's a good report. You guys told the truth. Moses says, it was a bad report. It was an evil report. What was bad about it? What was evil about it? Hear me well. You mentioned the grapes. You mentioned the giants. You mentioned the grasshoppers. And you never mentioned God. God wasn't in the equation. You by yourself can't win the land. You by yourself can't defeat the giants. But with God's help, a 15-year-old boy can slay a 9-foot-6 giant just with one stone because he said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. I come to you in the name of the Lord. I am not out here on a self-appointed committee meeting. I'm coming to you in the battle belongs to the Lord. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. By my spirit. And when God's people quit counting giants and quit counting their lack of strength, when will the shield of faith be in front of you and the weapon of the sword of God said, I'm small. You know what? God's people have always been outnumbered, outfinanced, out this, out that. The only explanation we've had is God. Not us, not more money, more intelligence. Hey, we always talk about how bad the Bay Area. Let me tell you this. It was bad when I landed. It was bad in the 40s when I hear my folks. Us kids thought it was great because you can play kick the can till 1 o'clock in the morning and nobody going to shoot you. Huh? Richmond was great. But sin will wax worse and worse. The times are going to get worse and worse. And I don't care if you're living in Texas, California, Canada. The times, baby, are going to get bad. The times, they are changing. And they're not changing for good. That's why we need this local church to slay giants in Jesus' name. To slay giants. To slay giants. 
quit looking at your lack of strength and look, God's got, you know, one man said he thought when we got before the beam of seat of Christ, we would not only be judged for the wrong things we did, but be judged for all the things we could have done had we believed God. What, what you could have done had you only trusted. But some of us, like church, we're at a Cadiz Barnea, a crossroads valley. Uh, 48-year serving pastor found we're a nightmare to follow. The next pastor, most guys are scared. We've had 70 applications so far. And, and I'm thinking, are you sure you know what you're applying for? <laughs> that they hate to follow my kind because we become legends in our own mind. We're a legend at whatever. And so the next guy is normally called the sacrificial lamb. Now, that's what they do. But, and, and let me say, church, you must hold together and not grumble. You must not put, make God the size of Phil Howard. But our God is bigger than Phil Howard. He's bigger than transition. He's bigger than the future. It's our God that's won the battles, not some puny preacher starting a church. Carolyn and I want to go to our grave. We were talking this morning, and we said the only thing we want to do in the next week and this time, we want to go to our grave singing and having on our lips, he is faithful. He is reliable. You can count on his promises. He's kept his promises to us. He, by, he has held us fast. How are you doing? Do you have some giants got you in a boxed-in canyon? See, Moses been there a few times. He could hear the chariot wheels, and all of a sudden a cloud comes between him and the armies of Egypt. Uh, it's real hard to get Egypt's armies through a cloud that God's in the middle of. He said, march on over. Oh, oh who parted that? And he reminds him, said, I've been parting the sea for you. I've been feeding you out in this wilderness. I've been a fire by night. I've been a cloud by day. Hey, you act like I've done nothing. How did you conquer Egypt? Exodus 19, he said this. It's beautiful. He said, Moses, tell him I flew him out on eagle's wings. It's the picture of the eaglet on the mother's wing. What they would do, they'd push that little eaglet off when it's time to fly, and she'd start disassembling the nest. And that little one doesn't want to get out of that nest as long as mom's feeding it. But she decides it's time they get out of the nest. So what they kind of do, and they have registered their heartbeat, how rapid it goes. So all she does with that wing is boop. And Junior is airborne whether he wants to be or not. And, and he, he's doing all this. And, and he's going crazy. And Mama many times will rescue him, take him back up to the nest, and boom. And, and, and Junior is falling to his death. Mama, boom. Oh, hello, Junior. Flies him on back to the nest. And God said, Listen to me, Israel. When I took you out of Egypt as a bunch of slaves and all you knew how to do is raise sheep and garden, you never owned a sword in your life. You never took one class on warfare. You never even learned any uh, jujitsu. 
never learned any Jew. You're just a bunch of farmers and a bunch of sheep herders. And I flew you out. We got to the Red Sea, and you all panicked. And I said, Miriam, you better grab your tambourine, honey, because you've got to lead a hymn pretty soon. Pharaoh and his horse and his army he's cast into the sea. Exodus 15. I'm going to get you. Oh, you get out here and you got thirsty at Mara. Just throw a tree in there and the waters will get sweet. Go to chapter 17, and he keeps delivering, delivering, delivering. How many times has he delivered you? Over and over. Over and over. Some of you, the giant of fear has made you shrivel up like a grasshopper because your God is too small. You've made him as small as you. You're the insignificant one, but all you need to do is trust the significant one. God, I went to the elders and the deacons, 86. I said to a men, God told me in my spirit, I've got 40 days to figure out why I'm still pastoring. And if I don't have an answer within 40 days, I'm resigning. And you men will have to figure out what to do, either close shop or get another pastor. I'm spent. I need 40 days. Because out of that, something came to me. Much All of history is in the hands of a few men. All of history. Arnold Toynbee once said in his history uh, uh, series he did, huge series of history notes, he said, most of history tells us the majority has never been right. That's what's scary to me. We all vote on something, and we think, whoa, this is great. When has the majority in California voted in what is God's agenda? And it's going to get worse. We don't know what bathroom to go in now. We don't know what to call a person's gender. They've got so many titles for it. my mamuma gender. <laughs> You're not male, female, Una. You're, you're, well, you're oh, man, I, I can't stay up on political language and what to call you. I used to call you a woman. No, I've chosen to be neutral. We've come a long ways. But here's the story. Twelve men. I know that's just five, but 12 men, 40 days, 40 days. Gather your facts. Make a decision. All 12 men have the same facts. 10 men, the majority vote is we can't do it. Let's leave God out. We can't do it. We go on empirical evidence. The bigger... Grapes are great, but dead people can't eat the grapes. And the giants plan to not throw us a birthday party, but to decapitate us. They don't want us taking the land. Guess what? He said, for every day you doubted me in the 40 days, I sentenced you to one year of marching in the desert. 
Am I going to give you the land? You better believe it. I'm a promise keeper. I promise Abraham that he's going to get that land, his descendants. But I'm going to discipline you for 40 years for your unbelief. I think what's scary, and English Bible teachers used to say it quite often, many Christians are on the right side of Egypt. They've had the blood of the Lamb applied to their heart, but they're on the wrong side of the promised land. They're still defeated. They're out here walking in circles because uh, uh, their God's not as big as the giants. They're full of fear, and I can't, and I won't, and I can't believe. And God said, you know what? The blood still avails for you, but I'm going to keep you in the wilderness until you believe me. Oh, oh, you said all your children are going to die. No, I'm going to kill every man that's 20 years or older, but I'm going to see that your children get the land. And then you come to Cadiz Barnea in chapter 20, and guess what happens? Moses finally gets mad at the people, and he strikes the rock. When we were in 1986, finally we got land. We began to discuss how to build that building. A lot of meetings. You know what's terrible about building programs? You don't have any scripture on what color the rug ought to be. <laughs> and you can't believe how much energy saints fight about colors, about this, and about that. And who, who's right? And then the pastor finally said, the Lord told me and all your men resigned. He said, God's telling you how to build a building. We're out of here. I told David one time, come to a meeting. I said, I feel we got to do this. God told me. He said, well, no day to me paying bridge toll if God's already told you. <laughs> he was so impudent at that time. Back in the 80s, buildings, for instance, Churches split over building programs. Most pastors resigned within a year. How Stewart told me he nearly had a nervous breakdown when they were remodeling at Hilltop. It was tough on him. A few men. Ten men cost over one million people their lives and 40 years of delay. Ten men. Two men, this is what bothers me, two men had to hang out to be able to finally inherit the land, as you'll see in the book of Joshua that Matt and them are going to begin this month. Uh, they still had to fight giants. They still had to carry their sword. You, you don't inherit promises without a fight. I've been fighting the devil, the flesh, and the devil ever since I got saved. What about you? This spiritual life is a fight. Fight not to believe satanic thoughts, not to fall in love with the world, not to follow the lust of the flesh. Oh, we're, we're in conflict all the time while we're trying to possess our possessions. Here's the formula, and it's before us now. We've got a search committee headed by several elders, several deacons, nine men, as if several of our sisters. Hey, they're looking. We've had 70 applications for this church. They're coming from all over the place. Uh, and uh, okay, we're going to be in that search. We're going to land on that as soon as we can. 
hey, it's big. It's the unknown. We've never been here before. Is God ever in the unknown? I heard some say, no. You, you, I'll let you repent of that. Yes, he is in the unknown. Very much so. When I started this church, nothing was more in the unknown than starting. Carolyn was gloomy all the way there. That what in the world have we got ourselves into? It was not all glory. Grasshoppers, grapes, and giants. Is that all you see? Or is God behind the promise? Is God behind the promise? If God's behind the promise... And you know what God did for me as I shared that with the brothers? Out of that, we did, I came up with five E's. I will stay if we can evangelize, if we can equip, if we can enfold people in groups where we care for them, if we can enlist people in service, and if everything will be for the glory of God so we can exalt him as we sing today. To God be the glory, to God be the glory. He's an awesome God. I'm not about just building projects. You know, I want to say this. Uh, I'm just telling you some of these stories. You want to hear these, don't you? Say yes. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, when we were in the other building, I thought we were semi-millennial. We finally had property. We finally had a parking lot. We finally had some decency. And uh, we started, we went to two services. We were growing. We were doing good. And Rich and Rollins and I were just having a ball. This was great. And, and David and Rich and I would meet every week. And so David started doing this stuff. said, you know, we ought to be thinking about another building. I said, you're a wacko. <laughs> I'm just healing from the last one. He said, no, no. He said, we, we need to do that. He said, we're in two services. We're going to be going to three. Where are you going to house? I said, David, get out of here. I'm not in. And he did that, I don't know how many months. It would come up, and, and both Rich and I said, boy, uh, we're trying to figure out the book of Zechariah, and he's wanting to build another building. And then one day he said, in his kind, brotherly way, he said, no, I know you, Phil. He just singled me out, not Rich. He said, I know you. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're going to just come in here one day and you're going to say, you know what? We need another building. <laughs> right? And I said, you're going to say, we need another building. I said, well, yeah. Jump to it. He said, you don't realize what it's going to take. I said, what do you mean? Well, the environmental report will maybe take 18 months. We've got to see if we've got any green frogs around here. <laughs> green frogs, you know, keep you from building. They're so delicious. Uh, and uh, then, then he kept on going. He said, uh, did you know how long it takes you through the city? Go ask John Anderson how long it takes you through the city of Richmond to build a shelter for children and women. They've been, how many years, John? Four years. Four years. See, he knows. Just to get them to give him permission to do something good for the community. Well, finally, we said, okay, David. He, he asked, 
do I have permission to research and get this thing going? Uh, could I do that? Uh, by the way, one day he came in and said, I think you guys need to buy me a plane ticket to uh, Idaho, and I'll meet with Alex Tomarov. We need to start designing a building. Eh, typical leader that I am. I said, go ahead, do it. That's not my burden. I'm not into buildings. I'm into the Word. Doesn't that sound spiritual? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, David would fly up, meet with Alex. Alex would come down here. they look, and our board, this church's board, on this building, the other one, we had a lot of meetings, a lot of discussion. On this building, I would say I was in board meetings no more than six hours for a $7 million project. You know what? David would do it, bring it to us guys. If we didn't like something, you can rearrange that. You can do this. You can do that. Just let, let's go. We, gotta, we need to move forward. Kept on, kept on, kept on. You know what? Every elder, every deacon needs to kiss him twice a day. He's the one that pioneered us having this building. Right there. Not me. I didn't want to do it. Yeah, he's an unsung hero for that. And I hope he takes me to lunch for praying on him. <laughs> but, no, this is true. It really, others, if God doesn't raise up men around you of faith, somebody had to see the building before we ever built it. Right. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Yes. And so I say to you, our future is no better than a few men and women whose God is big enough to guard and guide our future. Yeah. Is that God still on the throne? Yeah. yeah. You know, I was planning to hang out until you, especially before the new pastor, I'm checking up every other week to see if you're doing it the way I think you should. <laughs> until the elders say, get out of here. We're sick of your advice. I just want you to trust, trust and obey. And God's miracle and God's display, he's always done the impossible for people who couldn't. To him who believeth, all things are possible. I want to say, and my dear wife, God has been faithful to us and to this church. Uh, I don't care what methods come along, what technology, if it lacks faith and integrity, nothing in this work and any gospel work will continue. We still got that. We still got faith at our fingertips. We still got people of integrity. Do we want the gospel to go out? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Do we know how to make all the millennials want to come to a Bible teaching church in the Bay Area? I'm not sure. But God, I think, from eternity chooses people. And he has sheep of many flocks out there. And I think God is a predetermined number of people he's going to save and reach through this church. I believe he's a sovereign God, and he knows who he wants us to reach. Let's reach him. Let's reach him for Christ. Stand with me. We're 
two minutes from 12.30, so I've, I've stopped early. These are gifts to you on my final sermon to give, to give you a break. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for how many giants you've already slain. Oh, some of us, when we got saved, we were addicts. We were going through divorces. Our homes were a wreck. We were going to hell. We were hooked on a thousand different giants. And you're a science, you're, you're a lion killer and a giant slayer. I thank you, our Jesus is a wonderful captain and a wonderful deliverer. I hear old Joshua, he gets ready to slay you. You say, whoa, whoa, I'm the captain of the armies of Israel, Josh. You just work for me. Put that sword away. The battle belongs to me. I will get you through. Keep this little flock and keep your flocks of people all over the globe. Wherever the name of Jesus is being loved and preached, bless, 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 and don't let the giants, don't let the roaring lion talk us out of our inheritance. Help us to claim what you promised. In Jesus' name, amen. I wish you'd shake hands with someone and say, I believe the promises. I believe the promises.